Well, today we're continuing in a series, as I said before, or as, I, as Scott had alluded to, it's hashtag blessed. Now, I use that term because we get this idea, hashtag blessed, all throughout culture, right? We, someone gets a new car, they put, it on, they put it on Facebook. Oh yeah, by the way, if you're a teenager, go ahead and head to the back. Sorry, I almost forgot that. Saw some kids moving in the back of the room. So yes, our teenagers are free to go back to their, their class. Um, but the idea of hashtag blessed, right? You get a new car, put it on Facebook, social media, hashtag blessed. New house, Hashtag blessed. Kid does something in school that maybe he hasn't done before that's a positive thing. Hashtag blessed. We are so quick to just throw this term out there, hashtag blessed, without really understanding the blessing of God or even really what it means. So today we're gonna talk about the test because there really is a test when it comes to the blessing of God. God is, whether we know it or not, testing us to a degree with our resources and with our finances. But before we talk about this test, we've got to set uh, some parameters. I want to give basically a small questionnaire. But before we do that, there has to be maybe some guidelines from which we talk about this from. So the first guideline is this, that the majority of the world lives on $2 a day or less. $2 a day or less. Raise your hand if you're living on $2 a day. Okay, raise your hand if you're living on a lot more than $2 a day. That should be every single person in here. We know that based on our income levels, what we live on, we know that we are blessed of God. See, there's good and bad news when it comes to the idea of being blessed. There's good and bad news when it comes to this idea that the United States is far beyond impoverished. That even the most impoverished person here in the United States is very, very wealthy considering world economic standards. In fact, considering world economic standards, if you have more than two pairs of shoes, ladies, Talking to you, if you have more than two pairs of shoes, you're amongst the world's one percenters. Hallelujah. So you get to leave today and look at the pairs of shoes in your closet and realize you're part of the world's one percent. So there's good and bad news in that. Good news is we are blessed of God. We're correct. We're blessed. We're blessed as a nation. We're blessed as a people group. We're blessed as a church. We're blessed individually. We don't deserve this blessing. We don't deserve anything that God has ever given us. This blessing that we have is totally and absolutely undeserved other than people would follow the Lord's voice and do what he's called us to. But there's bad news as well. The bad news is that studies show that as income increases, giving decreases. As incomes rise, studies prove out that as incomes rise, people actually stop giving. They definitely don't give as much. Now, I think most of us would think that when we're more blessed, we're more quick to do more with the money that we have or the resources that we have. Most of us would think that just by nature, being blessed of God, we give more, we do more, we, we put more into the hands of the needy. The fact is, the numbers prove that that isn't true. In the United States, the average person gives 3.1% of their income to charities. That's not just to churches, that's all charities globally in the United States. We give 3.1% of our income on average. That's pretty impressive, that's pretty good. But this is where it's really gonna stump you. On average, those who earn $10,000 a year or less, well below the poverty line. How much do you think they give to charity or to causes every year? 3.1%? No, give a little bit more than that. 5.2%. These people live well below the poverty line, making $10,000 a year or less, and they give 
5.2% of their income away. That's huge. But this next one is gonna totally shock you. In fact, it shocked me when I heard it, when I was reading through some of my notes and came across this stat, totally blew me away. That for those who are beyond blessed, like they're very wealthy considering our economic standards here in the United States and, and again, globally, these people are very, very wealthy. Folks that earn $200,000 a year or more, what do you think they give? The 3.1%? How about the 5.2% that someone who makes $10,000 a year or less would give away on average? No, someone who makes $200,000 a year or more on average actually gives 0.07%, less than 1% of their income. I am not here to tell you being rich is bad. I am not here to tell you that the rich people in this country are just hoarding up more and, more and amassing more and more wealth and they don't care about anyone else because this isn't the uber rich. This isn't even technically uh, the one percenters in these household uh, groupings. These are people definitely at the top echelon of wage earners, but this isn't like the big corporations we're talking about. We'll get to that in a minute. What this is, is shows that once we have, uh, we, once we start trekking forward in amassing more money, in amassing more resources, in amassing more wealth, the natural tendency is to slow down our giving. The natural tendency is for us to build bigger barns to store our stuff and to build bigger barns and to store our stuff. Listen, nothing wrong with going and buying a new car. In fact, in a few months here, I have to go buy a new car. My lease is up. I'm gonna have to go find something new to drive. I don't know what it's gonna be. I've been looking through different vehicles and what I want to, what I want to drive. There's all kinds of cool cars out there to choose from anymore, and they're all really expensive. I cannot understand why cars are getting so expensive, but my goodness, they're just climbing up and up and up. But there's nothing wrong with getting a new car. There's nothing wrong with getting a new house. Maybe the one you have is old and you just want something newer. Maybe you've outgrown grown what you're living in with your kids and your family situation, and you want something bigger. There's nothing wrong with that. If that is not an impediment for us to continue to give and to give biblically. See, this is a reality that God is testing us when it comes to our finances. He wants to know if we're gonna be faithful. See, here's the question that I wanna ask today. It's a difficult question for some of you. It might be a gut punch. For others of you, you know where you live and, and you're comfortable with this idea. But the question's simple. Will you love and trust God or will you love and trust money? You have to choose at times which one we're gonna put our trust in, our faith in, which one we're going to love and which one we're gonna, we're gonna connect with over the other. We'll get into the Bible reason example for this here in just a minute. But God knows for the most part that money and things, money and things are the biggest issue for our heart. That, that the one thing that replaces him in our heart is generally money and stuff. More stuff, we kind of edge out God. More money, we start to edge out God. It's statistically proven, I didn't make up these numbers, that when you get more up to a certain dollar figure in your income, you tend to give less and less money. That people who are incredibly impoverished, $10,000 a year or less, are giving 5.2% of their income away. Don't raise your hands on this, but how many of you live on a lot more than $10,000 a year, yet give away a lot less than 5.2% of your income. 
A lot of times we find ourselves even in that bracket and it's a real hardship for most of us in our spiritual development because God wants us to be faithful to do well and God wants us to be faithful to give and God wants us to be faithful to meet the needs of those around us. But how can we do that if we're not in a pattern of giving? If you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 16, verse 10 and 11. Luke 16, verse 10 and 11, we're gonna read that here in just a second. But money promises us something that only God can give. In fact, let me be very specific. Money promises us four things. Money promises security, money promises freedom, money promises power, and money promises significance. Money promises security, and it's a total falsehood and a lie. You can have tons of money and not be secure at all. There were folks in the last economic crash that literally committed suicide because numbers on a screen had gone down. Their 401ks had crashed, their life, their life savings was wiped out, the, 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 the mutual funds that they managed had been wiped out, and they literally didn't know what to do with themselves and they committed suicide. Listen, money doesn't give you security. Money can be taken away from you just as fast as it's given to you. Money is not your friend. Money will starve you or it will feed you. It doesn't care about your feelings. Money offers to us a form of freedom that is absolutely 100% a falsehood. We think we're free if we amass a certain amount of money, that we can do what we want, go where we want, say what we wanna say. The fact is, we saw in this last generation, Steve Jobs, one of the world's richest men, and he had absolutely no freedom towards the end of his life. No freedom whatsoever. He was chained to a hospital bed because a disease had just filled his body. There was nothing he could do about it. There were the best doctors on the case, all the best medicine, all the best procedures, and none of that money could buy him freedom from that hospital bed. He talked about it later on in his life as well as he was nearing death, that it was one of the biggest chains to keep him in prison was this fear of sickness and this sickness that ravaged his body. The money couldn't fix that, only God could fix that. There's a sense of power, a false sense of power that comes from money. We think that we can flex our economic might and our muscle and we can get somewhere with the money that we have. In fact, there are men who try to buy elections and there always seems to be this underdog that comes up and no matter how much money is spent, the underdog seems to win the day. There are so many moments in time where men have used their money to express a certain level of power and failed miserably at it and their significance. That we think money will give us a certain level of significance and status. Lori and I had the opportunity to get to know a few NFL players when we were living in Pittsburgh, particularly obviously playing for the Pittsburgh Steelers. One gentleman had just gotten a new contract and I believe the signing bonus was somewhere between five and $10 million. And he was gonna be paid millions of dollars a year after that. And he was, he was struggling with the idea, was he worth it? How many Pro Bowl appearances was he gonna have to make? How many sacks was he gonna have to make that year? How many times was he gonna have to get that team to the Super Bowl to justify the payment? There was still an issue of significance that even though he'd amassed millions upon millions of dollars, that there was still an issue of significance in his heart. Was he worth the money? Money gives us false sense of security, freedom, power, and significance. Luke chapter 16 and verse 10, it says, whoever can be trusted with little can be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with little will be dishonest with much. 
So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? See, the, the fact is we have to be honest with ourselves. Are we trustworthy with what God is giving us? Are we trustworthy to do the work of God with what he's put in our hearts, with what he's put in our hands? Are we trustworthy? There's a test that comes and God is asking a simple question. Can he trust you with the hashtag blessed? Can he trust you with the blessing on your life? Can he trust you with more? Can he trust you with expanding your finances? Can he trust you with more influence? Can he trust you with the blessing? What are we doing with what God has given us? Leviticus chapter 27 and verse 30, you don't have to turn there. It says a tithe of everything from the land, <clears throat> whether the grain of the soil, the fruit of the tree, the blessing of the Lord, it is holy to the Lord, or it belongs to the Lord, it is holy to the Lord. It's talking about the tithe, a pattern of giving to God, a pattern of taking our resources in and setting aside a portion and saying, this belongs to you, Lord. We know that the biblical definition of a tithe is 10% of our income. These people struggled with it just the way you do. Just because they lived in a different economic forum where there was grain, where there was a harvest, where there was fruit, doesn't mean they didn't struggle with setting aside 10% and dropping it off at the temple. They had a difficult issue with it just like you and I do. In fact, to such a degree that in Malachi chapter eight, or Malachi chapter three, I'm sorry, verse eight, it says this. Will a man rob God? A rhetorical question from God's prophet. He said, but you've asked, how have we robbed you? He said, you've robbed me in tithes and in offerings. You are cursed, the whole nation of you, because you have robbed me. This is God speaking to his people who had a difficulty in understanding the concept of giving to God first and, and paramount the giving of the 10% as they amass their goods, as they amass their wheat and their grain and their, and their calves had, or their, their, their cattle had calves and they had to give that first portion to God. They had an issue with giving over that first 10%. And because they had an issue, the prophet had to speak and he said, listen, will you rob God? And you think to yourself, God's a celestial being. He's the king of the universe. How could I possibly rob him? And that's exactly what they thought. And he said, listen, in your tithes and in your offerings, when you haven't been committed to giving to God first, you are robbing from him. You are stealing away from his plan and his purpose. There's a blessing that comes in the tithe. There's a blessing that comes in marking out a portion first that's given to God. I'm gonna get into the idea of preeminence and what that means here in a moment, but the concept is that God is first, he will always be first, and he can't be anything other than first. And as we're working through this list of ideas, understand that God must be preeminent. He must be first. And anything that we do in our life that voids him of being first puts him dead last. God can't be second. By his very nature, he can't be second on the totem pole or third or fifth, which would be a good placement for you and I. He is either preeminent, he is either first, or he is dead set last in our life. Last. Tithing provides for God's work through the local church. The first thing we read in Malachi chapter 10 or three and verse 10 is that we should bring the tithe into the storehouse of God. 
so that there would be food in his house. What is this saying? It's saying something very simple, that when we bring our tithe to the church or religious organizations like this one, it's not about paying the pastor's salary. It's not about keeping the lights on or paying the rent. It's about the idea that there is a food, that there is a storehouse full of goods so that the community of God, the believers of God can do the work of God in the community and around the area. So how does this work practically? Well, I personally have a hang up with some of this stuff and how we and how we give information to you the congregation. I have a hang up because of this. Jesus once was talking about giving and particularly giving to the poor. And he said this, he said don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. He looked at a group of religious elites who were shouting about their giving on the sidewalks and he said, don't be like them because they're shouting that all the, all the accolades they're getting from talking about their giving, that's their reward. They don't really care about people. In fact, we read in the Old Testament, the Bible says that if you give to the poor, you lend to God and God will repay us. So that if we want God to actually be truthful to his promise to repay what we've given to the poor, we don't shout about our giving. We don't stand on the street corner and say, look at what we've done. Look at all the good we've done with your money. So I have a hard time in expressing to you, the congregation, many times the good that we're doing with the gifts that are being given. I have a hard time with that because sometimes if I were to tell you the wrong story or the right story, it diminishes the dignity and worth of a person in their time of crisis. It says to you, the congregation, that this person was hurting, that they had real needs, and rather than, than allowing them to work through that time in their life, we use them as a poster child as to why you could give, like bloated bellies of little children in Africa and saying, oh, please, won't you feed them? That's, that's wrong that diminishes that person's dignity and worth. Because I have a hard time with that, sometimes it's hard for me to tell you the good work that the church is doing with the money. But I've been instructed and I've been told that that's the wrong thing for me to do because you need to know what God is doing. And over the last few years, we've collected a Christmas offering. Many of you have been a part of that. We've collected funds so that we can do some things in-house and so that we can do things out of the house. Well, a few years ago, three years ago, we had been collecting Christmas offering for two years at that point. We had gained a large sum of money and a family came to us and said, we'd like to adopt two kids out of the Ukraine. Now at that time, you can imagine the Ukraine was a very difficult place to be. This is before Crimea had been annexed. There was a war going on there with Russia. These two young men were teenagers. They were about to be, whether forcibly or whether by choice, put into armed service. They might have been put into armed service even on the side that they didn't really side with. And that would be a big deal. That would be like them being forced into servitude for a country that they didn't stand by. This family saw these two young teenage boys and said, we need to rescue them from this impossible situation. There are what is called double orphans, meaning both parents had perished. Both parents were known to be deceased. So it costs a lot of money to adopt a kid in the Ukraine. In fact, this family had to spend a good portion of six months in the Ukraine just so they could take them home, just so they could bring them to the United States. And so we looked at the finances and the budget and what had come in in the Christmas offering, and we decided to play a part and spend thousands of dollars to rescue these kids' lives. Now they're living in the United States. They're going to university. They're part of their local church. They've accepted Jesus. They'd never even heard the story of this guy named Jesus. They accepted Jesus in their hearts. They're Christian kids. They're doing their best to live for God. It's a total life change story. They would have likely been in the Ukraine, forced to have a gun in their hand, and probably 
not made it out of that conflict alive. Now they're settled in the, in the United States. They're settled in their universities. They're going after the call and the vision that God has for them. They're not perfect kids by any means. They're teenagers, well, they're early 20s now, or late teens, early 20s now. They're just like any other kid. They have their own sets of issues, but they were totally rescued from that impossible situation. In fact, to the point that that entire orphanage where they stayed had been cleared out, and they're not even sure where most of those kids went to. But we had an opportunity because of the tithe, because of what people give every week, because of the giving that we give towards special products or projects, we had an opportunity to do something for those children and we were able to be a part of their rescue. We, Grace Family Church, reach all the way around to the Ukraine and rescued two boys. Listen, this stuff happens all the time. I do a poor job of explaining it to you. I'm gonna do a better job over the next couple of weeks. And the reason for that is, the reason that we could do that is because Malachi chapter three and verse 10a was true, that people brought the tithe into the storehouse. And because the storehouse was full, we could actually do the work of God. We could actually do the work of God and affect the community. Tithing teaches us to put God first. Deuteronomy chapter 14 and verse 23. The purpose of tithing is to teach you always to put God first in our lives. The reason we tithe, the whole purpose behind our giving, the whole reason that we would give God anything is to make him first, this idea of preeminent. You heard me say it at the different portion of the service, that God is either first or he's last. He's nowhere in between. When we tithe, what we're doing is we're carving out our income and we're saying, okay, God, this portion is for you first. The tithe is 10%, but more than that, it's a heart issue. It's about understanding that whatever funds come in our life, that we don't pay our mortgage first, we pay God first. That we don't pay for our food first, that we pay God first. That we don't pay for our electric first, that we give to God first. That he is so preeminent that even in our finances, we say, no, no, I'm gonna make sure you're first. It's a difference in attitude. It's a difference in heart. And for some of you, 10% is huge. Like you're just not there yet. Maybe you're like the average person in America and you give just over 3% of your income away every year. So 10% seems like an impossible task to get to. That's okay. 10% might be something you shoot for. For others of you, 10% is easy. You've been doing 10% for years. 10% is the jump off point for you. But the point is, is that we're taking our funds, we're taking our resources, we're carving them out and we're saying, God, we're gonna give to you First, we're gonna plan our budgets around giving to you first. We're gonna make you preeminent. We're gonna make you first in our life. Tithing increases our faith in God. Malachi chapter three and verse 10 says it this way. Test me now and this says the Lord and see that I won't throw open up the windows of heaven or the floodgates of heaven and pour you out so much blessing that you will not have enough room to contain it. That we come to a place where we trust God enough with our faith that we carve out that first portion of our income first. We set it aside to God. We call him preeminent in our finances. We give it to him and then he blesses the whole lump sum. He blesses the total 100% to such an extent that our finances, our resources, our income start to grow, start to grow. This is where some people miss it. What we've done and what we've taught in church is to be so sacrificial in our giving that when we give, we don't expect God to do anything for us. That's not biblical. 
That when we give, we don't expect our life to expand. That's not biblical. That when we give, we don't expect God to do anything on our behalf. That is not biblical. God says very clearly in Malachi chapter three and 10, that if you will give, and you will put him first and you will make him preeminent with your finances, he will increase your life. Not so you can just build bigger barns and tear them down and build bigger ones, but so that you can be an instrument that trusts God as to be a conduit for his blessing to other people so that as he gets into your life, it bleeds out of you, the blessing of God. It just is infectious to the people around you that our faith is increased as we learn to trust God with our finances. Matthew 23 and 23, it says, for you are careful to tithe, even of the tiniest income from the herb gardens, but you ignore the more important aspects. It says justice, mercy, and faith. I like uh, justice, love, and mercy better. I think that's a better translation. You should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things. This is Jesus talking to a group of elites of religious elites. And this is people question the tithe all the time. Well, Jesus never talked about the tithe. Well, yeah, he did. And he reaffirmed it. And here's where he does it. He says very simple to the, to the Jewish elites, to the religious elites. He said, listen, you tithe of the smallest amounts of spices on your table. And depending on your translation, he even says dill, mint, and cumin, common spices in the Middle East, that you tithe 10% of what you harvest of dill, mint, and cumin, and you give it to the church. You are very faithful in the smallest amount of tithing, yet you've neglected the weightier things or the heavier things, justice, love, and mercy. He said, don't forget the former just to do the latter. What he's saying is don't do this. Don't say, God, I'm gonna tithe in, in my justice, my love and mercy, but I'm gonna forget all the financial side. I'm gonna forget the substance side. No, he says, listen, do the substantive thing. Tithe in your increase. Tithe in what you make. Tithe in what you gather, but don't forget justice, love and mercy. What he's saying is if you tithe and give to God and say you're making him first, but you don't do it to be just, to right a wrong, to right a social wrong in our community, to do something to rescue someone in our community, you're not doing it for the right reason. Whether it's just rescuing them from hell or whether it's rescuing, rescuing them from an impoverished situation, we tithe so that we can be a key factor in justice, in rescuing people, justice and then love. Do we give because we love? Do we give because we love our community? Do we give because we love our neighbor? Do we give because we love the people around us? Are we faithful to give and to tithe because we're motivated by love? Justice, love, and mercy. Do we give to extend mercy? Do we give so that the mercy of God can be realized in someone's life? So that when they didn't have enough, mercy would be extended. So when they couldn't pay the rent, mercy would be extended. So that when they didn't have enough gas, mercy would be extended. So that when they didn't have enough food, that mercy would be extended. So that when they screwed up with their finances and they weren't, and they weren't doing their due diligence, that God's mercy was still applied in a hard situation. Do we tithe, do we give of even the smallest amount with these three motivations, justice, love, and mercy? 
We have come to a place in our culture where we've become comfortable with excess and growth and getting more and getting more. As I said before, cars are getting more and more expensive. They're more expensive now than they've ever been. And we keep fitting the bill. The iPhone is getting more and more expensive every year. And honest to God, I just gotta buy the new one. Every time it comes out, something some comes over me. Uh, uh, whoever writes those ads just sinks into my soul and grips my heart, you know? Gotta get that new iPhone. You can tell what I'm gonna get for Christmas. I don't know, we'll see. Lori got the new one first, that's not fair. But anyway, we have this mentality that we have to have the new and the latest and the greatest and we don't care what it costs because we're Americans and by God, we're gonna make the money. We're gonna do it, we're gonna make it happen. We're gonna expand our income. We're gonna see to it that we get the newest, latest, greatest. There's nothing wrong with that. What's wrong is if we're not motivated to give first. What's wrong is if we haven't set aside God's portion first. What's wrong is if we haven't said to God, I want all the new shiny cool stuff because that's awesome. That's where our culture is going. I can't wait to experience that. But God, I'm gonna put you first. I'm gonna do everything I can within my power to carve out part of my resources to give to you first. See, he promises everything else will be taken care of. You want that new iPhone, it'll be taken care of. You want that new house, it'll be taken care of. You want that new car, it'll be taken care of. Listen, I had someone argue with me one time about this. Well, you know, what's God really gonna do? What, how's, he, how's he really gonna bless you? You know what I said to him? Shut up, he'll do it honestly, so what do you care? He's not gonna steal from your neighbor to get into you. Anyway, hope you understood that point. But the issue is that we have come to this place where we think there's a finite amount of resources. We have an infinite God who can create something from nothing. And we really think that in his hands, what we have and the life that we can give is somehow limited and finite. He can take what you have and multiply it over 27 different times. And there's nothing that the world can say about it when you trust him with your finances first. But so many of us are limited in the idea that we can only do so much and we can only give so much and we can only go so far. We're limited in the idea that we have to work for the company rather than own it. We're limited with the idea that we can have a great idea, a great invention, a great concept, but we're not the one to bring it to market. We're limited because we haven't set aside his portion first and we haven't watched him grow and bless our life beyond compare because we haven't cut out that portion first. Trust me, when you cut out that portion, you give it to God first. When you give him that, that, first, that first amount, that first fruits, that tithe, you cut it off the top and you give it into his hands and you trust him with it, what happens in your life? You sit back and trust me, greed becomes an, a non-issue. You sit back and you watch God do things in your life that are far beyond what you could have ever thought. The only way you can beat greed, the only way you can beat an idea of limitation, the only way you can beat lack is to literally give away even when you don't think you have enough. My grandfather, who is a wonderful man, he's 85 years old, a few years ago, uh, about five years ago, he had cancer, cancer of the bladder. And he was determined to not have to deal with these issues. He was determined that it wouldn't slow down his life. He was a little drugged up when we had this conversation, so can't hold him to all these words, but he said, listen, if the tests come back and I have to have a tube and a bag, I don't wanna live that way. He said, drive me to the nearest train track. I'm like, I'm not assisted suiciding my grandfather. Like, this is a stupid conversation. But I listened to him as we were driving back from the hospital. Anyway, we got to the point where he's gonna have the surgery. And he was getting kind of frustrated. He said, you know, I've been faithful to give to the church. 
I've been faithful to tithe. I've been faithful to cut my portion, uh, my portion to God first in our income. He goes, why would this happen to me? He goes, there was a time where I goofed up and I didn't give to God because I didn't agree with some of the doctrinal issues of the church, but I, I, I fixed that. So what's up, God? I've been given for like, for like 50 years. How come I'm going through this? The backside of the surgery, the surgery happens. They take away the cancer, nothing, no issues. No issues to impede his life whatsoever. They took it away just like they removed someone's tonsils. He went on with life, no big deal. Now he reflects back to what God did in his life as the blessing of God because he was faithful. The God was faithful to him. But contrast that with the story of his wife, my grandmother, who had Parkinson's for many, many, many years, who struggled through Parkinson's and who had eventually passed from the effects of Parkinson's. I can't explain the two, and in fact, he can't either. We've wrestled with the idea from time to time that he's been so faithful, yet there are still some negative things that came his way. But what he does know is that even in those moments where Parkinson's was riddling her body, even in those moments where it was difficult and hard, that God still blessed their life. In fact, God blessed their life to this degree. My grandfather promised that no matter what happened to her, that he would always be there for her. They wouldn't have a live-in nurse. They wouldn't have a live-in maid taking care of her, that he would always be the one to take care of her. It sounds very chivalrous and very cool idea to care for a spouse like that. But you can't do it if you don't have the funds to do it. You can't do it if you don't have the time to do it. You can't do it if you have to go work a job because the funds aren't there for you to care for your spouse. And because they had been faithful and faithful and faithful in their giving, he believes that God was so faithful in their finances that he was able to put everything else aside and just care for my grandmother for a few years. Even to the point where he was cutting up her food every single day and bathing her and taking her to the restroom, he was doing everything for her because he made that promise, but he could stand on that promise because he knew what he had done before. He had been faithful and consistent. So even though one side of the story is she suffered and passed and the other side of the story is these cancer free, I can't reconcile the two. I don't know how, but I do know this, that in both stories, God's faithfulness had shown through to a very large and real extent that their lives could have been totally different, that the stories could have been topsy-turvy and upside down had they not been faithful to do what God is called them to. We read before that God said, you, have, you are cursed with a curse when you've robbed him of tithes and offerings. It's a harsh statement. All that simply means is that when we don't do what God's called us to do, when we aren't obedient to that level, that we can move ourselves out from under the hand and the blessing of God. So many people look up in the sky when, when difficulties befall them and they say, God, why are you doing this to me? And God said, I didn't do nothing. You walked away from my provision. They shake their fists at God in anger and they're mad. God, what are you doing to my life? And he's saying, listen, if you just get back under my provision, there's a reality to giving that extends beyond the Christian idea. There's a reality to giving that's a law that's just implanted in the universe that's real. What's the Bible say? Give and you'll get. Give and it'll be given to you. You press down, shaking together, running over, shall men give into your bosom. We know this, that captains of industry, men who have amassed massive fortunes of wealth, one of their key attributes is that they are givers. Jeff Bezos was giving away of his income before he was anyone anyone ever cared to know about. Microsoft and Bill Gates has decided to give away 90% of his income. Microsoft itself gives away millions and millions and millions of dollars every year. Warren Buffett has decided to give away 90% of his income. You can't tell me that there isn't a correlation to success and to giving. Every business principle 
every business principled magazine, every business principled book, every principle on how to grow and be successful covers the idea of giving. It is part of the metric. Yet we as the people of God sometimes hold back because we think things are finite and they're limited and there's a limited amount of resources. And God says, if you turn it loose, what you think they did, I'll bless your life so much better. What you think has been done in their life, I'll bless your life so much bigger. If you'll turn it loose and allow his power to be deposited on what you've given and what you have, he will transcend what any one of those titans of industry could do. I'm not saying that you're all gonna be billionaires because some of you don't want it. What I am saying is that God will bless your life bigger and better than you could possibly imagine if we'll just put him first in our giving. Everything that we talk about when we talk about giving at this church comes to this finite point that we put God first. That we put God first. If we ask for money from you, it's not because that we just want a little more cash in the bank. This is a nonprofit. We take it seriously. Every year we try to spend as much money that comes in the door as we can to meet the needs of people in this area, in this community. We meet them first spiritually and all the way down to their physical needs. And in fact, in a few weeks, as we gather the Christmas offering, we'll give you another opportunity to give. Every year we've had an opportunity to give to kids who aren't gonna have a Christmas unless we jump in and be that buffer. In a few weeks, we'll be giving you more information about what that looks like and how we can give to local kids in this local community to make sure that they have a Christmas that their parents couldn't provide. We do that not because we wanna show off. We do that not because we wanna say, hey, look what Grace Family Church did for the last five years. We do that because we know something very real happens when we give. We know that God blesses our life bigger and better than we could possibly imagine. We know that he extends the boundaries of our resources. And sometimes we can't even understand how he does it. We know that when we give and we give intentionally, God changes lives through our giving. So we're purposeful in everything that we would try to do with our giving. I said before last week that we will start to end every sermon with these talk over points. And I wanna give you a few of them today. They're on the screen. You can shoot a photo of it with your phone. You can write it down. You can grab it in the notes in the uh, graceqc.today app. The first thing I wanna ask you is how much would you say you love and trust God? How much would you say you love and trust God? Is he preeminent? Is he first? Do you trust money over him? Which is it? Do you trust God first or money? It's a hard question to ask yourself. The next one there is I want you to sit with your spouse or a loved one. I want you to sit with someone in your family and discuss this over dinner or maybe at a quiet time. Share your level of comfort or discomfort with the idea of tithing. Some of you are very comfortable with cutting out a portion of your income first, giving it to God, setting it aside, saying, God bless my life. You're very comfortable with it. Some of you aren't, that's fine. Learn to deal with that. Don't just let it sit on the shelf and not talk about it. Start talking about the idea of comfort or discomfort you have with tithing. Maybe for you, the tithe, you have to start out, now it's not a biblical definition of tithe, but you've got to start somewhere and you're starting with 2% and you're going to try to work your way up. Maybe for you, you're at 10% and you've got to move over that because you can do that easy and God has blessed you to such a degree that you can give 10% without even thinking about it. But wherever you're at in the spectrum, start talking about your comfort level or your discomfort level. And the last one there is what steps will you take this week to start the blessed test? Listen, the blessed test is about putting God first. 
putting God first in our finances. What are you gonna do this week to put him first? Are you gonna rearrange your budget a little bit? Are you gonna change the way you look at money? Maybe it's just a perception of money that is finite, that it's limited and that there's not enough. Maybe it's the idea that you're gonna hold off on doing something, maybe just a little bit so that you can give to God first. Maybe that $2 extra that's in your pocket means something this week that it didn't mean before. That $2 extra when you skip that coffee might mean the world to someone who doesn't have enough gas to put enough money to put gas in their car. Maybe that $2 that's hanging around in your change in your car is the difference for a mother who's just had the worst week of her life and needs that two bucks to just recharge on a cup of coffee. Maybe that $2 means something more than it does for you to someone else. And it's the process of starting the idea of what it is to be blessed of God. I wanna encourage you today, be blessed. Know what it is have the blessing of God in your life and to see it expand. Amen.